This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Thank you, Rabbi. Really, I was supposed to be here in about two weeks. But um, David said that in two weeks, the guys here would not be very happy with him because at that point, the Rangers thought where to beat the Black Hawks for the Stanley Cup. And you guys would be all really upset. So he figured, get me here before this happens. All right, so I've lost another little bit about hockey. Um, I'm actually a very normal person, very normal guy. And um, I think it's very important um, that I explain to you a little bit about myself because I feel very much that to connect to the guys you're talking about, they need to know who you are. Because if they don't know who you are, then there's no common denominator. And they're like, okay, yeah, okay, he's talking about this. You know, he grew up like this. I grew up differently. So um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself and um, how he ended up with Ornava. And, and uh, I, I actually am a Rebbe. For boys, people don't know this, but for 30 years, the eighth grade Rebbe in um, yeshiva called Kranach Yeshiva in Lombasin, which was for kids who came from non-from homes. So it was, it wasn't kids at risk, it just came, their parents weren't from, and our objective was to make them from, and I was eighth grade Rebbe for that for 30 years. And then other things happened in between. But I want to start off, I think it's a, a very important subject, and um, I do this in many, many schools. And not only in schools, I do this with not just kids, but I do this with adults. And I think that there's a very big misunderstanding in what Yiddishkeit is really, what it really is. What is Yiddishkeit? And um, so I told a story that, you, you know, you walk into, I don't know if they have Walgreens here, the Walgreens, CVS, whatever. Okay, you walk into this pharmacy to get something. And um, there's a guy standing by the counter. He sees you wearing the yarmulke. He says, are you a Jew? And you're like, yes. So you practice Judaism? Yes. What is that? That's his question. Plain question. He says, I don't have any religion. I'm an atheist. I don't believe, but, but I, I like study, I study religions. What, what is Judaism? Like, what are you guys, what are you all about? So, I'm asking the group here today to help me out. I'd like to hear some different opinions on what is, what are you doing? Why are we learning? Subject, biology, tomorrow's like biology. Why are you wearing scissors? Why are you wearing yarmulke? Manishtana, what's the difference between Judaism and Buddhism or Islam or Christianity? What do we got? <coughs> That they don't got. Anyone have any ideas? Yes. Um, we believe in one uh, and one God, and this God spoke to our uh, our, ancestors, <coughs> our ancestors, and He gave us He gave us a set of laws to follow and to and to obey by them. And, and God takes care. Christianity believes in one God. He came and spoke to one guy. They believe in two technically. Huh? No, not God. I don't want to teach Christianity, but no. They believe believe in God, and they believe that God has a son. But they believe in God. God we trust. It's on every corner. It doesn't say in Yashka we trust. It says in God we trust. Yeah, but they don't fall in love. They just have to believe. Seven mitzvahs in Enoyach. Seven mitzvahs. In fact, it sounds like that they're closer to God than we are. Because if I have a kid in my class, right? If I have a kid in my class, I give 613 rules. And then I have another kid in my class, I only give seven rules. Which kid, 
Which kid needs bigger discipline? I'm giving him 613 rules because he's, he's wild and out of control. So I got to give him every rule when he walks in, how he sits, how he stands, how he eats. If I don't give him all these rules, he's out of control. So it sounds like the Jews are much more out of control than the Goyim. They only need seven mitzvahs to keep them in control. And we need 613. It's okay, don't feel, don't feel bad, guys. This is what I do. Yes? Um, we believe that our life should be consistently based on the fact and the same that we should live, not just experience for us. We believe that, that our life should, live, should be that, based on fact? That we should, this is something that we should, that the fact that Hashem created us and that we owe it to Him to follow His laws and, um, and to believe that that's what He wants to do. But we believe that it's something that we should make our life out of, not just something that we just experience. So a good Christian, a good Christian, a good Muslim. Muslim lives by his Quran and keeps the laws. Doesn't drink alcohol. Doesn't eat pig, right? The, the women are dressed a certain way. They keep their laws. They're, 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 some of them are cuckoo. They keep their laws. And Christians, good Christians, they keep their laws. They don't. They don't. They don't eat meat Friday night. They don't eat meat Friday night, and they go to church on Sunday. And do shall not kill, and do shall not commit adultery, and they keep the Ten Commandments. And they live their life. We don't live our life by fact. We have this, there's something in our life called the Muna. Muna is not based on fact. It's not a Muna, but it's a fact. Not fact, but it's the fact that we, that instead of a lot of religions, we treat it as like a lot of a lot of religions that keep the religion as something that we like. So you're not talking. You're not talking about the religious Christian, but the religious Christian keeps his halachas to the T. And the religious, and the religious, uh, what's it called? A Muslim keeps his halachas to the T. Not only that. He has five five times a day he dabbles. Imagine in a minion factory in Baruch you have to have five times a day. You only have three times. They pay five times a day. And they're so religious that in the airport this morning, he just, in the middle of nowhere. I, you know, I put my tool on, I go, to the, I go to the telephone, I pick it up, I make a little talking to someone, and I'm like, you know, more than any little This guy puts his thing out, boom, in front of everyone. Sun's coming up, he's down. Wow, crazy. What we got, guys, this guy, if you don't answer him, in CBS, he's thinking that we don't got nothing. We got to give someone else a chance. Yes? We have a Torah that we receive the Torah and we have a scripture from our ancestors and it talks to all of us that we had at Sinai. Oh, so our mechanic was here? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have a Messorah. Every religion, God only spoke to one, Muhammad, Yashka, right? He only spoke to one. I don't know who he spoke to, Buddha, a little fat guy sitting on the table. I don't know what, what, what happened. Right? I don't know if they have it, whatever. I said, he, can't, he cannot be a God because he couldn't lose weight. I mean, all of you. It's exactly the same. He lose a pound. But seriously, really. So, so I deal with kids. I deal with very modern kids. I deal with kids who didn't go through the yeshiva system. I deal with some kids that didn't want to believe in Hashem. So... I love Rabbi Mechanic's answer. We have one little problem with his answer. So we, we didn't get, so, you know, Hashem didn't come to Moshe Rabbeinu, right, in some dream and tell him about the Torah. There were 600,000, 3 million Jews at our Sinai. Really? Guys, come on. We're real. Prove it. You got a video? Show me the YouTube. Because you say that there were 3 million Jews at our Sinai? Show it to me. Where? That's Judaism? I'm, I'm a guy who works in CV. 
Yes. I'm like, really? Wow, that must have been some scene. Can you show me a picture of it? No. So how do you know it's true? And I'll tell you something even, even scarier. Rabbi, don't worry, I'm not turning them into Christians. I'll tell you something even scarier. I'll tell you something even scarier. One of the answers is that we're the first religion. We're the first religion. First organized religion was Judaism, right? Idolatry, I mean, serving our way to Zara was way, way before us. But we're the first religion. <coughs> if you do the numbers from when we started, the Jewish nation, keeping Judaism, and you do the numbers of Christianity or the Muslims since they started, there's a lot more Christians and a lot more Muslims than there were ever was Jews. Because right now, we're 8 million Jews and they're a billion. So if you want to prove that your religion's right, and I've, I've had this be kuach, this is what I do. I've had this be kuach, and they're saying, well, we're definitely right because you got 8 million Jews and we got a billion Muslims. So, so you could fool 8 million people a lot faster than you could fool a billion. So we're right and you're wrong. How come there's not a billion Jews? Now, the reason I'm telling you this today, okay, because this is very connected to what I'm going to speak about, is because, boys, today it's a little different because you guys go on the Internet. And on the Internet, you've got all these websites that are atheist websites and all these websites that are anti everything that we stand for. And we're a curious people, and we read it. Now, I don't, I'm not, not going to believe any of it. Right? You start to read it, and then you start to send emails, and you go into chat rooms, atheist chat room. I mean, I know what's going on. And you end up in all these places, and all of a sudden in your head, you begin to question, and the mission says, die, you need to know what to answer, not be kairos, because if you don't answer him, in your head you're like, uh-oh, if I don't have the answer, maybe he's right. So this is very important. And I'm in, yesh- in yeshiva, and, don't, and, and so far, no one has ever answered the question, so don't feel bad. With 70, 60, 70 boys, whatever is in here, right? And we're all Jewish, and we're opening up the phone, we're all in tomorrow, and half of you probably know a lot of black and more about that, but you don't know what Judaism is. That's very scary. And that's not your fault. Because Judaism today is a subject test and a subject, and the worst thing that Yiddishkeit could ever become for anyone in this room is a subject, because there are a lot more exciting subjects, and biology will get you a job, and chemistry will get you a job, so if Torah is a subject, in the financial world, and the Rebbeim and the Rosh Hashivas and myself included know that in the financial world, you're not going to get a lot of money. You're going to get it in the next world, but you're not going to get it in this world. So a lot of kids are like, if it's a subject, Rabbi Wallstein, I want to do chemistry. I want to become a doctor. I want to make a lot of money. I want to, be, I want to go to law school. What are you bothering me with this thing? So all these answers that you're saying, it's not the answer. But I'm going to tell you the answer. I'm going to tell it to you through my story, actually. So... I, was, I lived in Muncie, and I went to a yeshiva called Yeshiva Spring Valley. When I lived in Muncie 53 years ago, no, actually 55 years ago, so Muncie was a very, very small town with one yeshiva, and there weren't too many people living there. I was a very different kid. In kindergarten, so what we used to do in those days in kindergarten, people were next, something like today, my, my grandson's in pre one and he's coming home, he's like, 
So you want to hear the mission about that? I know the mission about that. Hello? Today in Q&A, we expect our kids, I don't know what we want from them, right? The halachas in there, they come home with 60 questions on the parasha. But when I went to school, all we did was draw. Parsha, it was the, the ten, the ten makas. We did blood, we did frogs, and we did kinim. We didn't learn much. But for some reason, I never drew in the lines. I drew only out of the lines. Not in the lines and over the line, but not in the lines at all. Only out of the lines. And in those days, they didn't have the therapy that they have today. So they heard of something called dyslexia. They couldn't even spell it in those days, right? And they were, they were, they were, they were thinking, I might have dyslexia, maybe some other disease, who knows what. But well, we definitely don't want the other kids in the class to be next to him and see that he's drawing outside the circle. So we'll put Wallstein in the corner. There was another girl, another other little kid that also had the same problem. Happened to have lived on my block. Maybe it was the air, I don't know. Right? And then they put me, and that was it. But they didn't know what it was. So Baruch Hashem, I didn't get kicked out of school. I didn't get sent to some room over there with some te- a bunch of teachers to teach me separately. They had nothing to do with me, so they kept me in there. And I, and I, and I ended up getting going into first grade. Because Baruch Hashem has always been with me always been with me since I'm a little teeny kid. So I'm in first grade, and the teacher, from what I remember, she was very, very mean. But I guess in first grade, any teacher is very, very mean. But she was like really mean. Like, she didn't have a car. She didn't come to school in a car. She came to school in a broom. Okay? She parked a broom when she got into the class in the corner. Right? So we knew right away. And there's a little bit of a problem with this lady. But she was, look with me this way. She never called you by your first name. Mr. Wallerstein, first grade, come on, right? She wouldn't call you by your first name because maybe lost the I don't know, right? But whatever, she wouldn't call you by your first name. So it's like four weeks, four weeks into school, I'm W. Now, guys, you know, if you're a boy, you don't want to be past R. Because if you're past R, every time the ready makes you see him, he runs out of potato chips, ice cream, and cups by the time he gets to R. I, I'm sorry, we have nothing left, right? So... In a boys' school, it's nice, but it's good for one thing, because you can see what happens to all the other kids when they don't do their homework, how they get punished. By the time he gets to W, you know what works and what doesn't work. So I had a very close friend. It was Yankel Kaufman, buddies. And we had our first homework. I can remember. It's unbelievable. You can remember certain things. Trauma. Um, <laughs> so the, the paper had to be folded in three, because there was spelling. Spelling lines, spelling lines, spelling lines. I think it was five words in each line. So this was her first homework to the class. I didn't do it, of course. I was always dreaming, seeing, you know, I, I wasn't there, really. So Kaufman went before me. So she called him up and she said, Mr. Kaufman, bring up your homework. And he comes up, and he has nothing in his hands. And she says to him, Mr. Kaufman, where's your homework? And he's like, we're little teeny guys, we're first graders, look this big. Little teeny, I, was, I was very short, also, little teeny guys, right? This big lady, she's standing there like, Mr. Kaufman, where's your homework? He goes, I did it! Okay, Mr. Kaufman, if you did it, please bring it up. You want to know what happened? Yeah, I'd like to. I, I would like to know what happened. I, I put it on my desk, and my cat he ate it all up. I promise. This lady doesn't. We didn't know she had teeth for like six months into school, right? So she looked at him and she says, "That's ridiculous." Now, I thought that's a compliment. I'm like. Yay! First grade, whoever heard of ridiculous, right? That's ridiculous. Yeah, I'm teaching, I think this is great teaching 20 years at that point. I'm teaching 20 years. I've heard that story. And you sit down, and I want this homework done on two pages. I want you to do twice, 
I want to sign by both your parents. Okay, sit down in your seat. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I didn't do it either. <laughs> so I'm thinking what I'm going to do. Hashem, I love you. I still thank Hashem. I say, how you do? For what he did for me that day. So I have no idea what to do. So I'm thinking, I'll change the story. Fine. She called me up, Mr. Wallerstein. I woke up, I don't have anything. She said, where's your homework? I promise I did it. So then bring your homework up. You're not going to believe it. Now, what I wanted to say, guys, was that my hamster, <laughs> I, don't have, I didn't have a hamster, but we had one in school in the front, so a top hamster, right? I wanted to say that my hamster ate my homework, but that's not what came out of my mouth. I said, my, my homework, he ate my hamster. <laughs> True story. That's what came out of my mouth. Ridiculous, totally. So she's sitting there, she's not smiling yet. She says, you mean to say that your hamster ate your homework? Now, I was that kind of kid. Once it came out of my mouth, I'm defending it. I'm like, I'm like no, no, my, hey, my homework ate my hamster. And I can prove it. He said, Mr. Wallerstein, you can prove it? I said, yes, I have a note. She says, you have a note from who? My father. So she's thinking, this kid's dysfunctional. My <laughs> father's got to be really dysfunctional. So I said, you know. She says, so give me the note. I take out the note. Note for my father. She opens the note. She says, Mr. Wallenstein, this doesn't say anything about your hamster or your homework. This is a note to excuse you for being late today. I said, that's right. And why do you think I'm late? <laughs> because we made a revival. <laughs> Made a look by. I said, that's right, you can even ask my father. So she looked at me. I'm, I'm looking at her right now. I see her looking at me. And she talked and smiled a little bit and she said, I have never in my life come across a boy like you. You have an imagination, and I don't want to punish that imagination. You're excused. I'm excused. You're excused from this homework, but don't try this again. <laughs> I turned around, I remember walking back to my seat, and I kicked Kaufman. I said, Hamster, stupid, hamster! <laughs> True story. <laughs> so I learned a lesson. And the lesson I learned is that a good story pretty much gets you out of everything. Okay. Third grade. So I'm not, I'm not going past third grade. You don't have to worry. I can do it all but I will pay you all for being in this therapy session and helping me out. So, third grade, I went into the woods. Next to our school was woods. And I went into the woods with my friend Yakla Kaufman. Recess was at 12 o'clock. And we went into, quarter to 12 actually, we went into the woods and just forgot about school. <coughs> forgot about school. There was a broken down building with paint. We started painting and it's like 12.15 and the bell rang at 12 o'clock and it's 12.15 and we didn't come back to school. and. They didn't realize until 12.15 we were missing. She thought I was in the bathroom. Maybe I went to get something to eat. At 12.15, the teacher's like, Walston and Calvin are not here. Kids need to see them by recess. And they're like, we saw them in the beginning of the recess, but then they went into the woods, I think. So all the teachers start coming outside screaming, Calvin and Wallenstein, of course, I'm a little kid. I'm like, uh-oh, we didn't hear the bell. We got to run away. So I told Calvin, we need to run away. So we run into the woods deeper and deeper. They don't find us. They're going crazy. They call 
the, the cops, the state troopers come, Rappaport police, dogs, a helicopter. This is in 1960, whatever, right? The place is going crazy. Never before yeshiva. They, they went into my room with these dogs to smell my clothing and my book bag and my, all my food. So the dogs were able to find me. The kids are screaming, wolves, animals, and everyone's running all over the place. It's like you the place. Four o'clock, the cops come, and now we hear the cops, and they're screaming, and their dogs barking. I'm a little kid. I'm going, they're trying to find me. I'm going deeper in the woods, deeper in the woods. I'm running for my life. There's wolves in my head. There's wolves and animals and creatures and monsters, and we're running, running, running. Finally, the guy caught me. Four o'clock, they got both of us. They bring us back to school. You have to understand that the rabbi was pretty upset because he thought we were kidnapped, we were dead, school was going to be over, how come the teacher didn't know where we were? Forget it. I mean, those four hours, these people must have been, I, I don't blame them, they must have been going crazy. Anyway, I guess he made a decision that he don't want this to happen again. So he took me and Kaufman to first grade. Now, in those days, boys, you don't have to feel bad for me. In those days, you told me 50, 50 years ago, right? You hit. But but hitting wasn't like corporal punishment. It wasn't abuse. We all got hit. In fact, there was one kid in my class who never got hit. We hit him. <laughs> goody, goody? No, you have to get hit. So it became a game. The radio hit us with a ruler. We put Vaseline on our hands, roll over his tie. It was like a Gansa Maisip. Anyone who was in that crew for that used to get hit, you know, you got hit and you walked away. We were, we were like soldiers. Okay, it didn't hurt me. Uh, you know, that, that, was, that was the reaction. You didn't walk away and, and be traumatized and, and you know, and, 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 and get depressed and sleep for four o'clock in the afternoon, just the opposite. So we got hit. Anyway, he took me to first grade. And he said, this is what happens to a boy who runs away from school. Whack! One side of my face. Whack! The other side of my face. Second grade, again. Third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. Sixteen times, I got so beat, my face was so swollen, I, was, I couldn't even catch my breath from crying. I got so beat, you have no idea. He's walking back to the office now. They're going to expel me after the beating. And I look up at him. I'm like, Rabbi, why don't you just call an assembly? And hit me twice. Why don't you hit me in every class? And he goes, Bukhutsev. And he hits me again. And then he hits the cow. And the cow's like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it was the beating of my life. But I have to tell you. The pain of the beating. I got beat up. Okay, went away. Turned into a hockey player after that. But the embarrassment did not go away. And the embarrassment of them standing in front of you will never go away. Because I knew before I walked into the class what was going to happen. It's not like you got smacked all of a sudden. I knew I was going to walk into the class, what was going to be sitting there, and he's going to slap me in front of all these kids. It's a funny thing when you when I when I talk about this to boys. You guys smile. I feel about the girls, they start crying. One guy said to me when I told him the story, he's like, Rabbi, wish you would have had a high school. He could have hit you in ninth and tenth and eleventh and twelfth. You would have had a big graduation and a Kylel. You could have really gotten in. You're lucky you didn't have a high school. Guys, we're different, you know what I mean? You're wealthy, get over it. You know, it's a big deal. But anyway, seventh and eighth grade, when I got hit, they were laughing. The guys were laughing. They were like, I look, I remember their faces because it was a very small school. I remember the guys in the class when I got hit, they were laughing. This little kid, you know, sometimes you feel weird, so you laugh, but this little kid getting beat up in front of you with third graders, you're like, look at him, right? Not me, it's him. There were, there, were, there were actually 17 boys that laughed. And I know every single face. It took me 20 years. Every one of them is dead. 
kidding. Hello? <laughs> Rabbi would not have invited me if that was true. Relax, relax. And they're like, really? Maybe he should go. But the truth is, that's a joke, but the truth is, it hurt me, hurt me very much. I was very, very, very embarrassed. Okay, we're troopers, man. We were tough kids. I graduate eighth grade. I got my beating. I don't like him, but I go to high school. Go to high school. Muncie was very, very different in those days. Very few people. So in tenth grade in high school, in tenth grade in high school, I get called into the we'll call the mashgiach, and it wasn't mashgiach, but I'm saying it's mashgiach in case you can't figure out who it was. I get called in. He says, "Kai Wallace, you sit down." I'm like, "Okay." What I do? He says, um, came to my attention from one of the boys in yeshiva that yesterday um, on your block you were talking to a girl. I was like, uh, wait till I find out who told him. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it was my neighbor. Whatever, it was talking to a girl. It was my neighbor in Muncie at that time. It was not a big deal. We ate Shabbos with that. It was, it was a very, very different world, but. In the yeshiva I went to and told you a girl, you're out. So he said, listen, do you know, do you know what, what happens to boys who talk to girls? I'm like, they turn into Moshe Rabbeinu? <laughs> He's like, do you know what happens to boys who talk to girls? Do you know what they grow up to be? Sewer rats. Not a little rat, the big one. Said, and that's what you're going to be. And that's what you're going to be. And I'm not going to throw it out of yeshiva, but don't you ever forget what I told you. You continue doing this, that's what you're going to be. And when he said that to me, everything that happened to me in third grade, he triggered everything that happened to me in third grade. And I said, I am out of this religion. You beat me, you embarrass me, you call me a rat. I don't want any parts. I'm out. I'm giving it all up. But I have one major problem. That was my parents. Because my father over Shalom, I knew that the greatest thing in his life were his kids. And I could not hurt that man who loved me so much that all week long he drove from New York to Florida and back. That he was a traveling salesman. And on Friday he got home at 1 o'clock in those days, you caught him go more than 50 miles an hour, and there was no kosher food. He had matzah and a can of rokeach split pea soup. That's it. That's what he lived on. And I got off that bus at 2.15 every Friday from yeshiva, and my father was standing on a porch with a football. Sakai and Elias, I have a brother. The two of you, let's go play. His whole life was his children. What does that mean? What does it mean that you love somebody? That you bought him an iPhone? That you said, go watch Elmo? That you bought him a car? That you bought him nice clothing? What does it mean that you love someone? So I'll tell you what it means. There's only one thing in this world, boys, that you cannot live without for a millionth of a second. You cannot live without it. Anyone here know what? Do you remember that water? Clear without air, you can hold your breath, you can swim under the water. One girl said, you can't live without love. I know a lot of people live without love. One person wanted to try and impress me, you can't live without God. A lot of atheists in their living. 
the one thing, not a millionth of a second can you live without. Even out of neshama, animals live. They don't have a neshama. They live. Trees, which is someach, can live. But when the time of the tree is up, and the time the animal is up, and the time of the human is up, there's not a millionth of a second in So the most precious thing that we in this room have, because it's the only thing I can't live with a millionth of a second without, time. That's the most precious thing that every human being has in this world. And when you give the most precious thing you have to someone else, then you love them. Not a car, not money, not even a hug. Time. When a person gives another person time, whether it's a husband and a wife, whether it's a father and a child, whether it's a Rebbe and a Talmud, all relationships, for one to love another, you must give time. There are so many books on marriage, so many books on chinuch, and I tell everyone, you can take all your books and you can burn it with your comments because they're worthless unless you give the other person time. If you give them time, then the books are worth a lot. My father, his whole life, with his kids, all he did every moment of his life, if he had time, with his kids. He went somewhere, he took us. He had no friends. He had very little friends. He had my friends and my family. So I, at that point, was a 10th grader. I was like, I want to step out. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to fill in dominant kosher. Nothing. But, but how can I do this to this man? And my mother, I can't do this to them. So I said, you know what? I'm not stepping out. I'm coasting. I'm going to... never thought of faking Shabbos and all that stuff. I'm like, I'm going to go to Shul, but I have no kavana. What am I doing? I'm not going to have any kavana. I'm going to learn and put my head down and go to sleep. And when I got to 12th grade, something happened. And I said to myself, I'm not a rat. I'm not a rat. I don't want any other kid to get beat up the way I got beat up and embarrassed. How am I going to stop this? Become a Rebbe. And in my class, when I close that door, no kid's going to get embarrassed. And no kid's going to be called a rat. And I'm going to give my kids time. I'm going to play ball with them. They're going to come to me for Shabbos. I'm going to give to them what I got from my father. And I'm going to go into the system that hurt me. And I'm going to change it. Can I change the whole system? No. My class, that's my world, my boys. And my friends were like, you are ready? I wasn't learning. I was playing hockey and basketball for my whole life. I'm a drummer. I was playing music, and it wasn't Jewish music, right? So I wasn't, and they're looking at me like, you bang into a wall and hit your head? You, Rebbe? I'm like, I'm going to stop what happened to me from happening to at least one grade a year. And I went out with my wife. And I told her, I said, I don't look like a Rebbe, but I'm telling you right now, when we get married, I'm going to work half a day, but my first half a day, I am going to fix what happened to me. I am going to be a Rebbe. If you don't want to be married to a Rebbe, because I didn't look like a Rebbe and I'm a ball player, if you don't want to be married to a Rebbe, then, then this is not going to work. But I'm telling you, half a day, I'm going to do this. And from when I was 20 years old, when I got married, 
Baruch Hashem to today, which is 37 years later, I'm a Rebbe. And what drove me was being called a rat and being beat up. You see, because all of us have two choices in life. Everybody goes through stuff. I don't know your life, but all of us have stuff. And you really only have two choices, you see, because if Shem Shepinka says that in life, you don't really have the hero boys. Who your parents are, not your choice. Boy or girl, not your choice. Jew or not Jew, not your choice. Pretty much in your earlier years when you go to yeshiva, not your choice. How tall are you going to be? Not your choice. So what's your choice in life? What's your real choice in life? What's your real Bechira? How smart you are? You're going to have 145 IQ or 105 IQ? Not your choice. You're born with an IQ. So you have to be a masterman if you have a lower IQ. And you have to work harder. And I think, well, who takes care of your IQ then when it comes to learning? And some guys can't sit. They're born. They can't sit. Some guys have no memory. they got to keep looking at their name tag. Oh, that's my name. Okay. Some guys, if you memorize whatever they look at. So if that's not our choice, what am I doing? I might as well be a tree. Who are you going to marry 40 days before you come down to the world? They're now to the Shemayim. So boys, what is your choice? What are you doing here? And the answer is, Rosh Hashem never forget what he says. He says, the only choice you have in life is what do you do with the things you have no choice? That that is your father, that you are a Jew, that that is your family, that is your yeshiva, that that, that is your life, that is your wife. So what are you going to do with it? You have two choices. You have a choice to step in, you have a choice to step out. Yes, I could have become a guy. And I, I asked my seminary girl, I said, I'm going to ask you a question. Let's say, after the rabbi told me I'm going to be a, a rat, let's say I would have stepped out. No Torah, no Shabbos, no kosher, married a guy, had guyish children after 120 years, I come up to Shemayim, there's the Shemayim is sitting there, and there's Wallace in their life. Let's take a look at your life. Guyish kids, Chazit Treif, no davening, no learning, Ha ha ha. You know where you're going? Barbecue time. And I would stand there and say, uh, Rabbis, so I hear you got this, uh, I remember when I was much younger, that Mishnah, I and Roya, always in Shamas, you know, you got this video going. Uh, can you go back to third grade? This is this day, four o'clock. I just want you to, like, see what happens. Now, in the next world, it's very scary. In the next world, there's no cook. So the, the, it's the world of emotions. That's what an Neshama is. But you can't see it. Right? We all, we all, one of the proofs, by the way, one of the proofs that there's a Neshama, which I give to atheists, is that emotions you can't measure. There's no CAT scan. There's no way you can see a person's emotions. So they have to admit that in the world that they're living, the physical world, there is another world. The emotional world. You want to call it Neshama, whatever it is. But at the same time you're living in a physical world, you can't deny... You have emotions, but the emotions cannot be measured by any of the five senses that Hashem gave us, because it's five senses of this world. And they have never been able to answer me. So, at the end of the day, I'm standing there. These tzaddikim that are judging me can feel every time I walk into a class all that pain that I know I'm going to get hit and I know I'm going to get embarrassed. They don't see it. They can feel it. It's a very scary Zoyar voice talking about bullying. The Zoya says, when you cause another person emotional pain, you know what hell, you know what Gehenna is? They take you in a Shema in the next world, and they put it in his embarrassment and in his pain, and that's where they stick you. And you feel his burning and his emotional pain that you cause, 
And that's where you stay, and you can't get out, and there's nowhere to run, and you burn in the embarrassment that you cause the other person. That's what the Zoya says in Gehenna. What's Gehenna again? You do a chesed, and the guy's like, oh my goodness, nobody talks to me. And he talks to you. That beauty, that feeling that's inside, Hashem puts the Neshama in there. You live in the beauty that you gave the other person, the Zoya. So be careful before you cause somebody else pain. So here these chachamim are watching this little kid, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade. There's no way they're sending me to get them. So afterwards, they see this whole thing, they're crying. They're crying with me. So the rabbis are like, so what do we do with this guy? We can't send him to get again. He did every available in the world. We sent him to get him. He already had Gehenim. He already burned in Gehenim when he was in third grade. So I asked my seminary girls, so, so what do you do with Wallenstein if you're on the Besden? So they all say the same thing. We'll send them back to the world. I'm like, no Gilgo left. They did all three. What are you going to do with me? I know the answer. Boy, do you know what the answer is? You won't punish me. They won't put me again. You're going to put me in a room like this with a big video. And they're going to say, Zechariah Wallerstein, you stepped out, you married a guy. We want to just show you if in 10th grade, instead of stepping out, you would have stepped in. And they would show my wife and my kids grandchildren, they'd show my great-grandchildren, they would show every single guy in this room, because if I stepped in, that I'd end up coming here to speak, so all you guys would be in my video, if you're on my video, and they'd show every Oranava girl that I helped, and every person that I helped, and my seminary, two of them, and my high school, and everything I've ever done, and I would sit there and I would say, if I would have just stepped in, could you give me another chance? I could have done all that. I could have had such a family. I could have done all this. Just give me one more chance. No chances in Shemaiah. And for the rest of time, I would have sat in a room and watched my potential unrealized. You want to know what Gehenna is? Gehenna is potential unrealized. To sit there and watch boys, which you could have been. You have a good excuse. Excuses. I was a hockey player. I used to come home Saturday Shabbos from the league, right? And I would tell my father, well, the walls are all big in the hockey, and I would tell my father, Dad, you're not going to believe it. Tonight, the reps were picking on us. You go, you lost. I don't even have to ask you to score. The ice was slow. It was very wet. You lost. I said, Dad, I didn't tell you to score. He goes, winners don't make excuses. Nobody comes home and says, you want to hear the excuse why we won? No such thing. And then you start making excuses, you lost. So you're going to sit up at Shemayim, and you're going to say, I have a good excuse, and it's not my fault, and internet, it's the times of the day, and it's not my fault, and the whole world had internet. Yes, very nice excuse. Now go watch if you wouldn't have had internet, what you would have done. With those hours that you were on the internet or on your iPhone, you could have taken those hours, and you could help some first grader, second grader, who's failing in school, who needs a tutor, but his parents don't have $75 an hour, so now he's failing in school, his parents are not getting him a tutor, and all of a sudden he's in fifth grade, and now he's learning disabled, and now he's in Yichud, and now he's in, in eighth grade, he's on the street. And every boy in this room, there's not one of you that can't tutor a first grader in math, or in English, or in Chodesh, or in reading. How many of you guys went to the elementary school and said, you need someone to teach one of your kids? How many of you guys went to their nursing home where you can make some old person who thinks they're dead because nobody comes to visit them and this young, handsome boy, she's 90, you don't have to worry about her. This young, handsome boy who comes him, right? He cares about me. He comes to Arab showers and he gives me a rose. Do you know what you can do for an old person in 20 minutes, all of you? But a 
instead, you're looking at that stupid screen that's dead. It's dead. It's connected to a satellite. It has no life. You don't make a bracha on it. It's not connected to Hashem. Things that are connected to Hashem, you make a bracha. Even a tree when it blossoms, you make a bracha. You come out of the bathroom, you make a bracha. But a phone, you don't make a bracha. Maybe I should answer. I'm not sure. It's dead. It falls into the toilet. The whole world is gone. We just had it in my, in my high school. I don't know, fell into the sink or to the toilet. The girl came screaming out of the room. Oh my God, oh my God. I'm like, what happened? I thought, who knows what happened, right? Where's my phone? I've lost all my contacts. I don't even know where my mother is anymore. I don't have any more contacts. I'm like, Zabach. And the one who says, no, no, but, but you backed it up, didn't you? She's like, no, like last weekend. Oh my God. Lost, finished, gone. You think who knows what? It's a machine. There's no life. Boys, has no life. You know why the Yitzhak created it? He created it. Forget the garbage and the dirt and the filth. We're not going to talk about that. He created it to take away the most precious thing that every guy in this room has. Time. Time. And the biggest judgment in the next world is Hashem's going to tell you, I gave you 24 hours a day. How did you spend those 24 hours? You're going to say, I was on the phone, I was on the internet, big deal. She'll say, yeah. We're going to put you into the room. We're going to show you the potential of how many kids you could have saved and you could have tutored. How many old people that are broken and broken that you could have saved. And you're going to sit in that room and you're going to watch yourself all the time that you wasted. And you're going to say, oh, if you just, I didn't understand, just send me back down. They're like, no. Let's get him. That's the internet. He wants your time. Very interesting. I, I can't get into the whole thing, but in, if you want to know what Xavier is, you have to look how the Xavier was written. It's very famous. He gave us Esther. Which then who said, if it's written in blood, that if it's written in ink, you have to find out if it's in ink or it's in blood. You know, he said, where am I going to see it? He said, look in the, at how 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 um, how he wrote it, how Haman wrote it. He went down, he looked at it, and what did it say over there? You You wrote to destroy them. Now, you know, he ran to Moshe Ben, he said, it's not in blood. We can do it. We can break it. How do you know? Because the word la'avdam, the way he wrote it, la'avdam spells lo'vadam. So when they write Xavier against us, in the word that they write, is the answer. Now go look at a computer board over there with all the letters. You will see, or you know, you all know this, everybody knows this, that when you want to get into the into the internet world, you push enter. But there's no button that says exit. Why did the guy who created the keyboard write escape? Is that weird? The opposite of enter is exit. Why would he written escape? Escape! Putting a button on a keyboard is called escape! I'm not in prison. I'm not in jail. I'm not a prisoner. Why do I need to escape? Whoever created that keyboard, look at the Xera. He did the right exit. He wrote escape. Who needs to escape? Two people. Prisoners and slaves. And he understood that anybody that enters will not be able to get out on their own. They will not be able to exit. And he called it the web, which makes no sense at all. Right? Because it's technology. What does the web have to do with technology? And he called it the net. And the web and the net are the two things in the world that catch things that don't want to be caught. Look at the translation of a net. Something used to catch things that do not want to be caught. Example, butterflies. Example, fish. So they called it the net. They called it the web. Let me tell you something. The nastiest insect in the world is a spider. The spider doesn't kill the fly. 
When the fly gets stuck in the net, he goes through it. You can don't Google it, but you can look it up in an encyclopedia, right? Uh, he goes and he, he sticks his little needle there into that little fly, and he sucks out enough blood, but not to kill it. And then he goes away and he lets it regurgitate his blood, and he comes and does it again. And he lets it regurgitate his blood. Of course, it's not eating. So slowly but surely, he feeds himself five times until the fly is dead. He suffers terribly. Anything caught in the spider's web suffers terribly. He doesn't kill it right away. And that's what he does to us. We are on the internet. It's a little thing you look at. Mm, I'm not going to look at this. And he comes back, and then you start looking at this. And then he comes back, and you're in a chat room all of a sudden. And then he comes back, and you're somewhere totally you shouldn't be. And then he comes back, and finally, you're dead! He's got you! Your whole soul! He's in there, and he's got you! You're dead! You got nothing left! That's why the guy called it the web. That's a crazy name. You should have called it Android. That's technology. The web, the net, escape. You don't have to be brilliant. Just look at what's in front of you. A net, a web, and escape. That's not a place I want to go. I don't want to go into any net. I don't want to go into any web. And I definitely don't want to be caught somewhere that I have to escape. Look at the Zay with the way it's written. It's not Reverend Wallstein. I didn't call it a net. And I didn't call it a web. And I didn't write escape. It's not me. I didn't, I didn't create this. They created it. Now, what does this have to do with that guy in CBS? And the answer is the following. Now I'll tell you what Judaism is. If love and a relationship is based on time, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the only one, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, has a child called Klai Yisrael, like my father, and he wants to spend time with that child. Because spending time shows that he loves us. So he created 613 ways to spend time with us. If you're a farmer, you got Shemitah. You got Peah. You got Leket. If you're a banker, you got Ribbis. When you get up in the morning, you got to put your right shoe on first. And tell your left shoe, Hashem, what do you care? Really, what do you care? What shoe I put on first? How's that going to change the world? Hashem, like, it's not about how it changes the world. When you put the right shoe on, and you're thinking for that one second, I've got to put the right shoe on, you're connected to me. We're connected. You're spending time with me. The ultimate way to spend time with Hashem is learning Torah. So he gave us 613 ways to spend time with him. The Goyim, Nebuch! Only seven ways. They only have seven ways to connect. We have 613 channels. They have seven. Which TV are you buying, guys? We got 613 different channels to Hashem. They have seven. Losers. You know, when the guy in CBS asked Rabbi Wallace, what you got, man, that we don't got? What we got? We have a relationship with God. With a God that all he wants to do is spend time, and sometimes the time that he wants to spend us, you guys would be laughing on the floor, putting on a shoe, wearing strings. What are those strings? Do you ever do that? You pull, what happens? And I'm like, I wear these strings so that I should always remember that he's always with me. I'm spending time with him. I wear this on my head that I should always know that he's always with me. Not to fear him, that he's going to beat me, he's going to punish me, and he's going to throw me to the head of just the opposite. He says, Wait, did you always know that I'm with you? my wife, you know? 
I want you to wear this watch. Every time you look at this watch, I bought it for you. I, I have a nice watch. No, I bought this for you. Every time you look at the watch, you're going to think of me. I'm like, you don't look like the watch. I know, but if you know that I bought the watch, when you look at the watch, you'll be like, oh, so because both with everything that's in this world, everything that's in this world, every tree, every fruit, you make a boy for you. He needs a boy for you, eh? A little worm. We're a bunch of little worms. We go into the ground, we turn to nothing. God needs me to say, watch me, you God, who created trees. Uh, you need that? And the answer is, I'm telling him, when I eat this apple, I'm thinking of you. Thinking of you. I'm spending time with you, Hashem. When I come out of the bathroom, I'm thanking you that everything's working. I'm thanking you. Not that he needs it. I'm thanking you because that means we're connected. When my wife puts down dinner, I say thank you. She needs my thank you. We're connected. So everything about Yiddishkeit, it is about a relationship. The Jews have a relationship with God that nobody else has. He gave us 613. Then Rabbi said, that's not enough. We love you so much more. We need six more. It's not enough. We want more. That's what Yiddishkeit is for. The internet knows other stuff. Something knows. If Yiddishkeit is, if Judaism is, being connected to God and spending time with him, then the Sultan has to come out and create a way that we should not spend time with him. So he created cell phones, and he created internet, and he created movies. I'll end with this about movies. Movies are entertaining! So you all know that about two years ago, this movie came out, Batman. Batman and the Dark Side, I don't know what it was, whatever. The Kate Crusader, Batman Robin. I grew up with Batman Robin. Not in the movies, but I told you. Pow, wham, zam, whatever. <laughs> so, Batman is the Kate Crusader. He's the man, right? He can do anything. So they're in this movie theater in Colorado. 12 o'clock. First showing of the movie. And about 12.20, in the middle of the movie, this guy gets up in front of you, all know about this, he gets up in front of the screen, and he takes out a, an 8K rifle, and he says, I am the Joker. And he starts shooting. And 12 people get killed. And Batman's playing behind them. And in Time Magazine, they write an article that Three of the guys that died, died saving their girlfriends. They, when he started shooting, they jumped and covered their girlfriends, and they took the bullets. Three of them died. Two of them have to have been American soldiers, people that were in the army, whatever it is. They gave up their lives, and they saved their girlfriends, and they got killed. He shot. He was just shooting the front row, the front two, three rows. And I was giving a share in my seminar, and I'm like, do you know how many hours guys in this room, I'm sure, you, how many hours do you waste watching movies? I said, Batman, you spent... Seven fifty to watch this guy, Kate Crusader, can save Gotham City. And here's one guy with a gun. Batman, jump off the screen. You're behind him. Knock him out. Batman can do nothing when he's crazy with a lost He's smoking up. Think Batman can jump off the screen when he's nuts, crazy? Of course he can't jump off the screen. Really? That's why you're watching him. So in Time Magazine, you know what they wrote? The true Kate Crusaders were those three guys. Three human beings saved their girlfriends. They're not a movie. They're human. They're real. Real people can do real things. Things on a screen, the minute you turn the light on, you can't see them anymore. You can only see them in the dark. Because that's the whole klayach of the sudden. The whole klayach of the sudden is imagery. It's not real. What are you watching? You want to watch a guy getting shot? They get right off the screen. I say movies is one good thing about movies. It's a riot to see us amazing. 
girls, they like to go to these crying movies, right? Where everybody's dying of cancer. So I thought in my seminar, I'm like, so here you, you, you're watching this movie, and they bring their tissues, and this lady's dying of cancer. And at the end, she dives into the arms, and everybody's crying, right? The guys are sitting there like, eh, doesn't bother me at all, right? And, 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 and they're all crying never to, to waste Jewish tears that can break down all this, in Shemayim, can break down all the walls on this, right? And, and, and at the end, and the movie's over, and they stand there, and they watch the, you know, Halavai, I would say, Rabbi, Halavai, the learning with the movie. Because at the end of the movie, everybody stands to watch the credits. Shoot, over, they're out of there. Nobody ever sat down and said, okay, let's, let's look at where, all the Mayim Rekundus, where you got it from. When it comes to the movie, we're standing there, everybody's watching everything. First cameraman, third cameraman, twelfth cameraman, what are you doing watching? Fifteenth cameraman, what, you know the guy, you're going to call him? What are you watching? But maybe at the end of all that, there's going to be a two-minute bloopers, bloopers, of, bloopers of the movie, right? But nobody stays in, in the classroom after this year. Maybe we're going to say, maybe women are going to, like, say something, like, interesting about the Gemara we just learned. The man got bell man, you're out of there. How am I? Share with, like, a movie. But anyway, but the truth, the, the truth is, okay, that the, the whole thing is, is not real. It's a waste of time. So his, his whole thing is to take away that most precious thing that we have. Now, what happens? The movie's over. I told the girl, the movie's over. They all cried. They leave. Now, 20 minutes later, they start, uh, half an hour later, on the hour, they start playing the movie again. Now, that same girl that just died, she's back up there. Get some thing. And two weeks later, she's in another movie. So I'm like, what are you crying for? It's an actress. She gets off the stage. You all cry. And she goes to lunch. And she has a burger. And you're sitting there crying. Boys, it's bluff. It's fake. It's all fake. It's imagery. It's not real. It doesn't cry. It doesn't feel. It's not connected to Hashem. This whole technology is to grab your young, to grab the most precious thing a youngster has is time. He wants to take all your time from your parents, from yourself. Nobody in this room even knows who you, you don't even know who you are. When the last time you sat at the edge of your bed and said, who am I? What am I doing here? What have I done? What am I going to do? Where am I going? He doesn't let you spend time with yourself. The Akiva says, your best friend is Kamaicha, is you. If you don't love yourself, if you're not connected to yourself, you can't be connected to anybody else. You can't be connected to Hashem. When kids tell me I'm not connected to Hashem, I'm like, you know what? You're not even connected to yourself. Let's not get to God. We're not even up to God. You're not even connected to yourself. You're not connected to your parents. You're not connected to yourself. You don't even know who you are. Because you don't spend any time with yourself. You spend time with machines. Uh, listen, I'm going to walk out of here today. It's up to you to change. Now, it's not going to change my life if you change or you don't change. But it's going to change your life. Go find a kid. Go take him to the park. Go play ball with him. So many kids need, need, need older guys to take care of them, to show them love. So many kids are in dysfunctional families. The guy would just show up once a week and take him out to eat and take him to play basketball in the back here and maybe spend 10 minutes alone with him. You could save his life. Half an hour of your time. Well, you don't waste it with all this garbage. I'm begging you because one day you're going to sit in a room you're going to look at your potential. And if you realize that potential, that's Gan Eden. And if you didn't realize that potential and you wasted all your time, that's Gan That's what I put in Vocal 1. Because Vocal 1 says, Lord, in this room, to spend time with her. And I'm not telling you that davening is easy. Davening, you should really, uh, or she may not be happy I'm telling you this, you should take one little part of davening, maybe Ashray, maybe Boksha Amar, and then for three months, have just Kavana when you say that. Have Kavana when you say that. Say, Kush Baruch Hu, 
You don't really know what I'm talking about. You don't really talk back to me, even though he does in Mashava, but that's a different share and it's very deep. Right? He does talk back to you all the time. He talks, Hashem talks in Mashava. But at the end of the day, find one thing to talk to him. One GPS where you give the information and the GPS automatically does it. Talk to Kashbaku. Every single Hebrew word does a kayak. But Shmuel Birnbaum was my Rosh Hashiva, Mir Yeshiva. Shmuel Birnbaum was the biggest Muslim, one of the biggest Muslims of our door. I'm a Mir Yeshiva boy. And there was a, there was a guy in Mir Yeshiva, he was in Kailo 40 years. This happened right before Rosh Yeshiva passed away. He was in Kailo for 40 years. He was like the basic of Mir Yeshiva. This guy was always there, always in the base manager. And he had a bunch of kids, and his wife had cancer, stage four. He went to the Shishiva. They said this over. He said it over by the Shiva of Rosh Hashiva. And he went to the Rosh Hashiva and he said to Rosh Hashiva, Rosh Hashiva, I cannot live without her. I, I, I'm in Yeshiva all the time. I won't be able to learn. She takes care of the kids and everything. You have to do something for me. Stage four, they're giving her like a month, two months. Rosh Hashiva said, I'll doubt it. He said, no, you have to do a moifus. Rosh Hashiva says, I'm not a rebel. And I'm not a makubu. I, I don't do moifus. He said, Rosh Hashiva, I'm here 40 years. This is my life. I'm begging you. You have to do a mitzvah. So she said, I, I'm, I'll dial me, I'll, whatever. Okay. To make a little story short, a week later, they get a phone call, some kind of trial in Belgium, that, the, that, the, that her cancer, because it was so far gone, they would, they, she would be one of the 20 people that they take her. Ten of them die, and ten of them get better in this trial. Who got the placebo, who didn't, we don't know, whatever. And it starts, the cancer starts to go away with this new, this new treatment. To make a little story short, Baruch Hashem, Gone. So he goes to the Rosh Hashiva. He says, he says by the Shiva. He goes to the Rosh Hashiva. He says to Rosh Hashiva, Rosh Hashiva, you said you're not a Makubal, you're not a Reva. What'd you do? Yeah. Rosh Hashiva, I beg you, just tell me. You saved my wife's life. She said, what you did? He said, I, I, I didn't really do anything. He says, I'll tell you the truth, he says. Every day, or almost every day, in the Gemara, I talk to Abai and Rava. We talk. He said, I never asked them for anything. You came to me, I said, that there's a man in, in, in Yeshiva that talks to you also a lot, but he won't be able to come talk to you anymore. If his wife dies, he has to take care of the family. He's not going to come talk to you anymore. So for, for, for his sake, go in front of the He said, come on, I'll buy him rubber, and, 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 and then she should have an ace. What's the lesson? Yeshua Birnbaum did not learn Gemara. <coughs> he lived in it. When he said an Abayah and Rava, when he said Rabbi Akiva, whoever he said, he was talking to him. And when they asked the Kashi in the Gemara, he was sitting in the room when they asked the Kashi. His relationship with his Torah was life. It's not a subject. Torah is not a subject. He was talking to them. He had a relationship with them because he spent time with them. Very famous story. I remember something more in the Mishnah where somebody died and, and, and the Sakis Chagiga was following behind, right? This, this woman in black was following behind by the Leviah and they, they never saw her before. So they asked her, Who are you? She said, I'm a Sakis Chagiga. Sakis Chagiga? Sakis Chagiga. This person all his life has only learned over and over and over the Sakis Chagiga. So it wasn't a subject. He was talking to the Sakis Chagiga, so he died. So Chagiga has to come to Leviah. Torah can be on such a level that it's, that it's part of your life. It's not a subject. It's part of your life. If you have a relationship, anything you spend time with, anything you spend time with, it's a good thing and a bad thing. Whenever you spend time, the special thing that Hashem gives you every morning, anything you spend time with, you've got a relationship. You spend time with Torah and mitzvahs, 
you have a relationship with God, you spend time with movies and internet, you have a relationship with something. That's the relationship with something, you're spending time with him. And I don't have to tell you, there are many ways to spend time. There's probably more than 613 ways that he has created to spend time with him. There's nothing in the middle. Or should I be to alert that? When the mata was in his hand, there was a mata. When he threw it out, it wasn't a mata on the floor. Became a snake. Hashem was teaching Moshe Beno, the leader of Christ, Israel, you're a mata when you're in my hand, you're a mata. But don't think if you're out of my hand, you're a mata on the floor. You're not, you're a snake. You can't belong, there's no in between. You either belong to Hashem or you belong to the Nachash, you belong to the suffering. Spend time with Hashem, you belong to Hashem, you have a relationship with Hashem. Spend time on the internet and all these other places, and your relationship is with Him. You don't want to have a relationship with Him. Trust me. So, guys, it's up to you. What you do with this, but that's what Yiddishkeit is. Yiddishkeit is a 613 ways to be connected to Hashem Echad, Hashem Echad, the greatest being in the world. He is so great, boys. God is so great that He actually gives you life every day, even though He knows you're going to use that life against Him. It doesn't make sense. A person who does averis, who does things that are wrong, the Malach Malach Hashem, what are you giving him life tomorrow morning? He took your life, he took your time, and he's on the internet. So tomorrow morning, he shouldn't wake up. It's like the kid with the baseball bat. You know, I'm finished. The kid with the baseball bat, this father, he loves his kid. He's one of those never kids. He can never get a hit. Right? Nobody wants to play with him. So one day he goes to buy him a baseball bat. Because on the block, all the kids, they get this broken baseball bat. You think, why is this kid a bat? All the other kids, it works usually. You know, with the basketball, right? You buy your kid the basketball, and everybody wants to play with him. So he goes to the store, he says, what kind of bats do you have in life? This bat, $40, $30. We have one aluminum bat. It's called the super bat. All you need to do is connect with the ball a little bit, home run every time. Really? Super bat. So how much is it? $250. $250. But you know what? It'll make my son into a champion. He's socially a therapist. costs more than that. Let's get him the bat. So the father goes and he buys the boy the bat. He comes home and he says, Chaim, I bought you the super bat. Let me see. Beautiful aluminum bag. Tastes Wow! Whack! Hits his father. father's like, what? He goes, that's right! Whack! And he starts beating his father with the bat. And this guy walks into the house and he's like, what are you doing? Take the bat away from him. You crazy? He's beating you with it. And he's like, he'll get tired from beating me with it. And he's going to go outside. And he's going to play ball. And he's going to hit the home run. And then everything's going to be worth it. Once he gets to hit the home run, he's going to start having friends. His anger, his inside anger that you just saw, is going to go away, right? And the kid walks up and says, yeah, they're going to get tired. Bang! The, the guy says, take it away from him. No, no, just relax. He's going to get tired. Crazy father, no? What kind of chinuch is that? Take the bat away. Let, let, let the kid hit you till he can't hit you no more. Shem does that in this room for all of us every day. Give us the bat, the super bat, called life and time. And we take that. Anything he told us to do, we go opposite. Whack this Avera, whack that Avera. And then Malachim are like, take the bat away. Give him a heart attack. Maybe you shouldn't get one. Let him choke. And Hashem's like, relax. He's going to get tired of it. He's going to stop doing Averas. And when he stops doing Averas, he's going to get a home run. He's going to start doing mitzvahs. And the Mishnah figure always says that Hashem waits, not one year, two years, or five years, till the last second of your life. He's like, maybe he's going to get a home run. That's crazy, boys. That's our God. What's the Kurdish Baba? Hashem Akharush Malachai.
So take the bat that he's given you, which is life, slam that ball over the fence, and hit a grand slam. Just look around it. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.